This is makeshift. We're on a laundry hamper. Yes, this is truly an adventure today. I think <laughs> we say that every time we record, but... We're in a new location every time. Yeah, today I'm not allowed in Katie's office. Thus, we are recording on top of some laundry hampers and a dog crate and Ryan's office couch. Yes, uh, my my husband. This is a much comfortable seating arrangement, though, than our usual. It is weird that I'm looking you in the eye. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I. <laughs> I never like to make eye contact with anyone, as a general rule. I'll look away. <laughs> don't worry. We don't need to look at each other. Well, do we have a book to talk about this week? Because oh my god, we picked a winner. We did pick. You picked a winner. This one was I all did. you. This I did. I did pick a winner. I feel like I redeemed myself after I picked Angelica Frankenstein. That one was fine. I stand by it. Was it was worth reading? It, it was it, an adventure. Boy, was that a book? That sure was. It was a book that we read, but I haven't seen that many people talk about this book. And I want us to be the people to tell you that Mrs. Nash's Ashes is like the fucking romance novel of the year. This Truly. Is, yeah, this is maybe my favorite book I've read this year. And we had an Emily Henry book come out this year. We did. This might be my favorite so far. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's my favorite book book, but it's my favorite romance, I think, maybe, probably. It was shockingly good. It was extremely good. So we read Mrs. Nash's Ashes by Sarah Adler, which according to my very quick Googling before this, is her debut novel. It is. She really came out swinging. Truly, truly. Do you want to read the blurb for us? Sure. I would love to read the blurb. Millicent Watts Cohen is on a mission. When she promised her elderly best friend that she'd reunite her with the woman she fell in love with nearly 80 years ago, she never imagined that would mean traveling from D.C. to Key West with three tablespoons of Mrs. Nash's remains in her backpack. But Millie's determined to give her friend a symbolic happily ever after before it's really too late, and hopefully reassure herself of love's lasting power in the process. She just didn't expect to have a living travel companion. After a computer glitch grounds flights, Millie is forced to catch a ride with Hollis Hollenbeck, an also stranded acquaintance from her ex's MFA program. Hollis certainly does not believe in happily ever afters, symbolic or otherwise, and makes it quite clear that he can't fathom Millie's plan ending well for anyone. But as they contend with peculiar bed and breakfast, unusual small town festivals, and deer with a death wish, Millie begins to suspect that her reluctant travel partner might enjoy her company more than he lets on. Because for someone who supposedly doesn't share her views on romance, Hollis sure is becoming invested in the success of their journey. And the closer they get to their destination, the more Millie has to admit that maybe this trip isn't just about Mrs. Nash's love story after all. Maybe it's also about her own. I fucking loved this book. I have in my notes that it got me from the first paragraph. And I would like to do a dramatic reading of the first paragraph. Please do, because I also love the first paragraph. Actually, let me go, let me get my print copy so it's easier for me. Okay, so the first paragraph of this book is, Rose McIntyre Nash died peacefully in her sleep at age 98, and now I carry part of her with me wherever I go. I do not mean that figuratively. She's inside a small wooden box tucked away in my backpack as we speak. Not all of her, of course. Jeffrey Nash wasn't about to hand over his entire grandmother to the weird girl who lived in her spare bedroom. But Jeffrey was kind enough to give me three tablespoons of her ashes. Again, 
not figurative, he portioned her out with a measuring spoon from the kitchen. Probably not the request he was expecting when he asked if I'd like something to remember her by, but he didn't seem to mind too much. I think he was mostly relieved I didn't want her highly collectible radioactive fiesta wear. This is art. Yeah, I was I was like, you know what? At at this point in the book, I was like, you know what? Like, even if this story ends up not being great or whatever, like, this is going to be funny and it's going to be fun and I'm in. Radioactive fiesta wear is just like, I'm hooked. That's it. We're here. All right. I'm ready to go where Mrs. Nash goes. Exactly. So this book is a series of shenanigans, truly. Truly ensuing throughout the entire book. So we start in the airport. I mean, I guess after, you know, once we learn where the three tablespoons of Mrs. Nash came from. Right. But Millicent... They came from Mrs. Nash. They came from Mrs. Nash. <laughs> her, her her cremains. Yes, Which yes. I was shocked a couple years ago when I learned that was like a real word and not just like a yeah. fi- cremains. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like it. That's one of those words I don't think should exist. We won't say it again. Yeah, I don't like it. Anyway... So we start in the airport where Millie is, you know, sitting at the gate with her backpack and Mrs. Nash. And this is where I am so grateful a blurb did not reveal certain things about this book. Because Millicent is a child star (laughs) who was in a show called Penelope to the Past where she has a CGI lizard side character or sidekick, I should say. Mm -hmm. And... She makes it clear the show was horrible. It's awful. It was problematic. And just she wasn't a good actress, as she makes clear multiple times. It feels to me like a weird, bad combination of, like, the Mary-Kate and Ashley detective series and Wishbone. (laughs) You're joking, because that's exactly what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) I loved Wishbone. Wishbone in his little Sherlock Holmes outfits. I know. That's what this felt like to me. Or like, I don't know, one of those weird fucking PBS shows that would be on at like 2 o'clock on a Tuesday. Oh my god, like Cyber Chase. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that unlocked something for me. I forgot about that movie or that show. There's a lizard in Cyber Chase, I believe. There is. Um, Or like Zaboomafoo, (laughs) (laughs) which I also love. I loved Zaboomafoo. Me too, that fucking lemur. Anyway, so she's a former child star of this like, what she sort of almost makes sound like it should be some obscure show because she's like, oh, I was bad, it was bad, whatever. But it was apparently very popular, like so popular that she's recognized in airports. Yeah. So this guy comes up to her and he's gross and starts making obscene comments about a particular episode where she is wearing a swimsuit at age 14 uh, after she has developed boobs, as she makes clear. And... Who comes to rescue her but Hollis Hollenbeck? Yeah, this really is the only bad thing about the book. That's a Muppet name, as I said in the last episode. He's a Muppet. Well, and we do learn that Hollis is his middle name, but it doesn't make it any better. It's too many H's and too many O's. Yeah, just Hull, Hull. I can't can't do it. But she, like, vaguely knows Hollis because he was in her ex-boyfriend's, her terrible ex-boyfriend's MFA program. But Hollis is, like, acting like... He doesn't know her, but regardless, he comes to her rescue with this creepy man and, like, basically pretends to be her, like, partner of whatever sort. Right. He had also rescued her from the party where 
Josh, her terrible ex-boyfriend, and Millicent broke up and he drove her home while she was crying. And again, pretends he doesn't remember this, but he rescues her. And then they shortly find out after every flight has been canceled out of DCA airport. Yeah, there was there's some massive fuck up that grounded all flights. And so it's like it's madness. Everyone's trying to get out of there or whatever. Um, And Hollis is this is like very typical Sunshine Grump story, which I love. Oh, yes. I love a hot grump. And later on, this description comes later on, but I feel like it's relevant to share here early. Like, later on, she describes him as, or she says, he's not very nice, and yet he's so kind. Yes, <laughs> he is. Part of the the first kind of iteration of this is he requests a cinnamon roll as a thank you. He requests two cinnamon rolls. Yeah. And then he gives one to Millie, partially because he doesn't want to eat alone, but right. also, like, Man, fuck, I want to sit upon right now. I know. If I had had more time, I would have brought one. Oh, God, that would have really been thematic. Do you guys want to listen to us eat, eat cinnamon, cinnamon rolls? <laughs> mm, some really good ASMR there. Yeah. <laughs> We're not ASMR fans. No, I'm not. I'm not. So, so they sort of become this unlikely pairing and... Of course, we all, we all know where it's going from the blurb. They end up on this road trip. There there are a series of shenanigans getting a rental car, not least of which Millie befriends a man named Mike who oh. has multiple pugs, three pugs, named Rock'em, Sock'em, and Robot. I love Mike. <laughs> we, I love Mike. We don't see him again, but he spends his entire character arc showing Millie pictures of Rock'em, Sock'em, and Robot yeah. on his phone as he pre- or like prepares to take her to, I think, South Carolina is as far as he can take her. Yeah, something like that. So they're going from D.C. to Key West, or like she, Millie needs to go from D.C. to Key West, and she has befriended Mike, who has offered to take her some portion of the way. And Millie needs to go right now because Mrs. Nash's former lover, Elsie Brown, is in hospice, quite literally at death's door. So Millie's on a mission. Money is not an object at this point. She's throwing cash where she needs to, and she's ready to go. Hollis, however, is on his way to Miami. For a fucking dick appointment. I am so... I, You know, it's not surprising that this didn't end up in the blurb, because how would it have ended up in the blurb? But how delightful that this is the reason he was going to Miami, to have annual sex. Annual. With some woman. Named Yiva. Yeah. <laughs> Who sounds lovely. She sounds fine. But I, I'm speechless about it because it was just so out of left field. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love Hollis and his dick appointment. Partially, it's also for him to get inspiration for his next book. He says he's uh, mentally clogged, basically. Or he doesn't like the word clogged. Millie says clogged. I can't yeah. remember what he says. Clogged conjures a certain imagery what? that I'm not sure about. Great point. <laughs> I'm not going to dwell on that anymore. <laughs> but to prevent Millie from being murdered by Mike, who, again, seems lovely and only cares about getting home to his wife and his three pugs, Hollis decides to take Millie with him. Out of the kindness of his heart, but also not really. Yeah, because Hollis has a car. Yes. They don't rent a car. His is at the airport. Yeah, and so he intercepts Millie at at the rental car, you know, area of the airport. And then 
it is revealed, which was also not in the blurb, that we get Rose and Elsie's love story as like a dual timeline. And and we don't it's not we don't spend a ton of time with Rose and Elsie, but but a significant amount in the book. Man, this was a very like when it started, I was almost like, do I want to spend time here? But then the more it came up, the more I was like, yeah, I definitely want to spend time here. Like, this is really good. Yeah. And then it's kind of revealed very late in the book that this perhaps is not the actual true accounting right. of so, what happened to Rose and Elsie. So in the beginning, this is kind of, we we imagine it as Millie telling Hollis their love story. Big time spoiler alert if you have not read the book. Yeah. It, it come into these just assuming that yeah. you should read the book. <laughs> I also have to acknowledge that we get a Steely Dan needle drop in this book. Yeah, the second I saw Steely Dan, I was like, well, where's Abigail? You know I noted it immediately, and I highlighted the part of the book (laughs) where she says, God, I love Steely Dan. I say adjusting my swank to the more subdued tempo of dirty work. It's always fucking dirty work. I knew you were going to say that, too. I knew you were going to say it. It's always dirty work. There are better songs. Come on. Where was I? Th- I was somewhere the other day, and I was like, they're playing Steely Dan, and you said, what song? And I said, dirty work. And you said, it's always dirty work. It's always dirty work. Where's some glamour profession? Where's Asia? Where are the better ones? Dirty work's a great song. Whatever. It's just always dirty work. That's true. Anyway. Moving on. Anyway, yes. So we get Steely Dan. We get Rose and Elsie, which, you know, is later revealed to be the the version of Rose and Elsie's story that Hollis is writing as his intended next book. So we don't know how much of this is the actual real truth, but he does get it from what Millie is telling him. So I think we can safely assume that a lot of it is like somewhat... Accurate? Yeah. I'm I'm choosing to believe it is. Yeah. That's that's also what I believe. So really there's not a lot happening in this first chunk of the road trip, but there's a lot going on. We find out why Millie and Josh broke up, which we've met a lot of terrible men in these books. <laughs> We're yeah. adding him to the collection. So Josh was a writer and he sounds like the worst kind of man that we know. He sounds a lot like Lee in Dead, Dead romantics. romantics. I was thinking this, yeah. Yeah. Where he was using Millie as fodder, basically. He made a fake Instagram account that pretending was, to be her. Yeah. Capitalizing on her child fame. Yeah. And like posting photos of the two of them so that he would like become famous by his adjacency to her. Which oh my god. Yeah. Well, gross. Yeah. Gross. Also, he's like working on a novel that's like who's the guy who wrote Lolita? It's like oh, a, uh, Nabokov. No, it's a different Russian guy. Starts with a D. Oh, Dostoevsky. Yes. Yeah. That's what it is, yeah. where it's like a retelling of one of his novels or something. It sounds fucking <sighs> awful. Our, our least favorite kind of men. Yeah. Or at least one of them. So, yeah, this series, is this road trip is just a series of shenanigans. And my favorite shenanigan takes place early on, oh. which is... The best restaurant I have ever heard of. This is not a big plot point, but we have to talk about it. It's what I want to spend the remaining of our, (laughs) the remainder of our episode talking about because I, how it's so simple, yet how did she come up with this? So it is Jose Napoleoni's Rio Grande Trattoria, which is exactly what it sounds like. 
I would also like to note when I put the note in in the outline that we were going to talk about this part, I only put Jose Napoleones and then Katie amended the full name. (laughs) Katie amended it with the full name. It was that important. The Rio Grande part is what really got me. I don't know why. (laughs) Mexican Italian fusion. Which sounds terrible. You know, at first I was like, this is going to be awful. They're going to have this awful meal and it's going to be hilarious. And then it sounds fucking awesome. This is where I want to go for every meal of my entire life now. Focaccia and salsa? I'm in. Sure. Yes. And then one of my first notes from this book says, listen, the fried ravioli sampler with cheese, chorizo, shredded chicken, and ground beef ravioli sounds excellent. Look, I will fucking eat anything. I would definitely eat this ravioli sampler that Millie orders. Chorizo and a ravioli that's fucking inspired. Sammy's. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Abigail's fiance works at a very nice Italian restaurant, and this is probably, like, grounds for divorce before you even get married (laughs) that we're even discussing this right now. I'm going to pitch it to him. Chorizo, just make it for us. You don't have to put it on the menu. Make us one ravioli. We have to do this now. We have to make Austin make these foods. Oh, my God. I'll pay him. I'll, I'll buy the food. We have to do this now. It's also fried. Yeah. It's fried ravioli. Fuck yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And then my next note is all caps, mariachi, that's amore. Because a mariachi band comes along and starts playing that's amore while they're eating their fucking fried ravioli chorizo sampler. Of all the books that should be made into a movie... This one. Just for just that. Just for this scene. I just want to hear the mariachi version of that some more. <laughs> I bet that exists on the internet somewhere. Oh, I'm sure it does. Absolutely. I just want to see it in this context. There's also a giant stuffed bear in a sombrero. <laughs> and, and Hollis lifts Millie up so she can touch its mouth. <laughs> my One of my favorite Millie moments through the entire book is when they're walking into the restaurant and she can't stop staring at the bear. And she's like, I want to know what his mouth feels like. <laughs> And then they, you know, like, they have their meal and whatnot. And then as they're leaving, she's still staring at the bear. And she's like, I want to touch the mouth. Millie has a character I feel like is just, like, all of your harmless, intrusive thoughts personified. Like, she just says them. Oh, yes. (laughs) Which I respect. (laughs) We get a lot of emphasis on how, like, weird Millie is. I think she's endearing. I don't think she's too weird. Well... I mean, weird, like, I think weird is relative in this case because Josh used weird as an insult and then Hollis inevitably uses weird as, like, one of the things that he finds endearing about her. That is true. That's one of the, yeah, that's one of those things that is a thought that probably every third person would have about that bear, but no one would <laughs> ever vote, ever vocalize. I didn't highlight it, but yes, her saying, I want to touch the mouth and her, Hollis sighing at her and going, come here, and then lifting her <laughs> up to touch the mouth, which... Sarah Adler describes in vivid detail. Yeah, because it's the first time that they, like, touch, and it's, like, weirdly hot in this, like, absurd moment. Oh, I meant the mouth, what the mouth feels like. Oh, yes, what the mouth feels like. She does describe (laughs) that in absurd... And I'm like, Sarah Adler, someone definitely lifted you up to touch the inside of a bear's mouth at some point. I was just imagining... Have you been to a Cabela's where they have the giant, like, mountain in the middle? Absolutely, I have. Yup. Hannah and I would run around the Cabela's while my dad, like, looked at firearms or whatever, and... One time I dared her to touch one of the fish for a quarter, and she did. And then we walked by again, and there was a security guard there. (laughs) So so that's my uh, history with taxidermied animals. 
Oh, that's funny. Growing up, my best friend in elementary school lived on a uh, working exotic game game ranch um, that her, I've never told you this, that her dad worked on. And as a part of working on the ranch, you get to, you get a house, basically. Um, Like when you're a pastor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know the deal with the house, if it's like totally subsidized or just partially subsidized Mm -hmm. or whatever. I don't know if it comes furnished or unfurnished. And that's important context because their living room was like, completely full of taxidermied animals i have a really vivid visceral memory of a bobcat on there on their like hearth like on the fireplace and when we would have sleepovers we would sleep in the living room and i i had a lot of problems staying the night at friends houses when i was little because I have like attachment issues or whatever and so i could never spend the night at a friend's house i would always call Mimi or my dad or someone like late at night to be like, sorry, I tried, but I can't do it. But looking back on it, I'm wondering how much of it was actually because of the taxidermy animals staring at me. I was going to say, <laughs> maybe it's not your attachment issues. Maybe it's your fear of big game wildlife. Because I couldn't stay at other friends' houses either. But like she was the one whose house I tried to stay at the most. She was like my best friend. Yeah. I don't know if I could sleep with a bobcat staring at me. It wasn't just a bobcat. There were like at least 11 other animals in that room. Yeah, I believe you. Yeah. It was like living in a Cabela's. Yeah, yeah. It, but it was only in that room. It was bananas. That's my experience with taxidermied animals. We learned a lot about each other today. We did. So they make their way out of Jose Napoleone's. <laughs> Again. I- Someone make merch with that. Like y'all are making the Emily Henry merch with like the Michigan or whatever. Make, make Jose's. I will buy it in a fucking heartbeat. I will buy it so fast. I'll buy buy it in a crew neck. I'll buy it in a t-shirt. I'll buy it in a collection. I'll buy all of it. I want a sticker for my laptop. I want a koozie. I kind of imagined it being I want a chef's hat. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I want an apron. (laughs) I kind of imagined it being like a former Pizza Hut that they just... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I really was picturing like, you know, the like sticky, your ass sticks to the seat, leather boots. Yep. With the giant red cups yeah. and the Tiffany lamps. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, ab- and then there's just like, you know, like a Mexican flag hanging on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. Um, <laughs> we should open it. Uh, yeah, I got, we got to move on from Jose's. We got the whole book to get through. Anyway, so- they leave Jose's <laughs> and, and there is a, an olive oil spill. <laughs> This, on the highway. This sounds like a Muppet movie. It really does. And one of the... Millie's making jokes about it, and then Hollis seriously looks at her and he goes, it caused two accidents, Millie. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to take, like, a side, like, a bumfuck country road. Millie's driving, despite Hollis begging her not to, but Hollis needs to nap. Yes. And Millie hits a deer, and it's actually quite scary. Have you ever hit a deer? No, I hit a buzzard once. <laughs> <laughs> and and some wild hogs. That's scarier. That I could have died. That's scary. Yeah, my I almost flipped my car. It was bad. I've been in the car when we've hit a deer. My dad has a great hitting a deer story that I'll tell you later because it's horrifying. And then, yeah, I, I haven't hit any other wildlife that I know of. But the deer miraculously survives. Yeah. 
He's just like. And he's like taken to the vet, like loaded up in someone's truck and taken to the vet. Fucking love it. There's no way that deer survived in real life, but you know, we can't, we can't harsh the mellow with a dead deer. Exactly. But it punches Millie in the forehead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it comes through the windshield. Everyone ends up being fine, including the deer. And then we are interested, we are introduced to this cast of characters in this small South Carolina town. God bless. You know, I love a townie. Yes, and so they, and this, we're chock full of them, baby. They end up at what, this is like the most popular bed and breakfast plot point of any, like, romance novel, romance movie, Hallmark movie, comedy movie, whatever, which is that they end up at the hyper-religious bed and breakfast. And by hyper-religious, there are 25 paint-by-numbers Jesuses. On the wall. In the mustard seed room. In the mustard seed room. Which I wish I would have called it as soon as she was like, I'm taking you to the mustard seed room. I wish I had called it. I didn't. I knew I knew that it was going to be hyper-religious when I heard mustard seed. <sighs> my my ears like pricked a little bit, but I was like, yeah, you know, maybe it's just really yellow. Yeah, we had a, we have, have, still have a boutique in LaGrange, one of my hometowns that is called the mustard seed. Incredible. Mm-hmm. It's a good boutique. Oh, well. I'm All sure the that- girlies worked there in high school. They sell a lot of Miss Me jeans. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I knew it. And those those like sequiny bags that were super popular when I was oh. in middle school. You know the ones? Yup. Yeah. So yes, you wrote 25 Jesuses and I really importantly had to clarify on our outline that they are paint by numbers Jesuses. I used to do paint by numbers. Jesus? No, they were horses. <laughs> <laughs> did you see my thread that I did which <laughs> last night, which was, was kind of incredible that both Barbie and Oppenheimer ended up being about horses? <laughs> no! <laughs> it only got one like, but I thought it was really good. <laughs> but I only have like 100 thread followers, so. More than I have. Follow us on threads, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I've Sometimes post- I'll drop in and say something weird like I n- that. Oh, I need to start doing that. Yeah, anyway, they're paint-by-number Jesuses. Paint-by-number Jesuses looking at Hollis and Millie the whole time. And, of course, there's only one bed. We don't really even need to say it. Yeah, that's obvious. Yeah, insert air horn here. They're, like, just kind of dicking around this small town, like, kind of meeting some of these very minor... Side characters, including the, like, is he the band director? The band director, who's very hot, which is, like, the least believable thing I've ever heard. Never met a hot band director. Yeah, sorry if you're, if any, if any of you are band directors or are married to band directors. I'm sure y'all are all very hot, but I've never met a hot band director in my life. Can't say I have. Yeah. But yeah, conveniently, they're there in time for the Broccoli Festival. Incredible. In bumfuck South Carolina, which I didn't look up the agricultural makeup of South Carolina, but <laughs> broccoli is usually grown in, like, California. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I, they just really like it. I don't know. They were talking about this one farmer specifically. Oh, yeah, And he yeah, was yeah. the inspiration. But, you know, whatever. It's beside the point. Maybe he's the one who figured out how to grow broccoli on the East Coast. Maybe so. I don't know where broccoli's grown. I don't know anything. But to appeal to the younger crowd of this town they decide to capitalize on millie's child fame 
and make her the Grand Marshal of the Broccoli Parade. Which for some reason is decided by the band director because the band director is on the outs with the community because he's decided instead of playing the same song that the band plays at the Broccoli Festival every year, he wants to play Fleetwood Mac, which like is dramatic. I guess, yeah. They, they got to hear Sloop John B. every single year, whatever yeah. song it is. It's one of those. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And so then he's like, this will curry the favor with the community if I get you, Penelope, to the past <laughs> to be our grand marshal. He offers her his car as a thank you. Which so is fucking bananas. Absolutely not. I'm not going to, to which former child star, although my car is a piece of shit. I'd give it to anybody at this point. I don't even like it when Ryan drives my car. And he's a better driver than me. Someone please come total my car. <laughs> Run into Abigail at a stoplight. <laughs> make sure I'm out. Of, make sure you do it safely. Just like conveniently total my car. Yeah, make sure it's like the passenger side or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Or like park it under a tree for me. Yeah. That's the best case scenario. A tree falls on my car. Yeah, someone do some chainsawing around Abigail's car soon. She really does. It's it's a death trap. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I I am concerned. We're we're talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Hollis is also getting a little like jealous. He's still pretending he doesn't he's like an asshole, but we know he's not an asshole because yeah. he's still being very nice to Millie just in his own dickish way. Right, he is nice, but he, but he's not very nice, but he's kind. Yes. Yes. He tries to kind of get her to hook up with Ryan the hot band director. Millie instead announces that to everybody in the house on accident because she goes to meet him later to, like, talk about what it entails to be a grand marshal of a broccoli parade. And she walks into the house and is like, I will not have sex with you. (laughs) And the mayor is there. Yeah. And, like, a bunch of other people. (laughs) And the the hot band director, I cannot call him Ryan. Sorry. Sorry. The hot band director was like, okay. (laughs) But then later he was like, I would have had sex with you. (laughs) If I know, if I had known that was an option, but you know, in exchange for her being the the grand marshal of the broccoli parade, she's going to get to take his Kia Soul for a few days. <laughs> which of course he fucking drives of course a, Kia it's a Kia Soul. Well, and also I think important to add here is like Hollis is feeling jealous of Millie and and hot band director, but Millie is also feeling jealous of Holly, who is texting Yeva, Yeva, I'm not sure, and. Is assuming that he's like verklempt that he cannot get to his Miami sex woman. appointment. Yeah, Miami woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's not really the case. It turns out they kind of argue with about it when like Millie gets back to the hotel mm-hmm. or the B and B, the mustard seed room, and they've been like flirting with each other in very suggestive manners throughout the book. She's not going to sleep with the band director. He, she d- still doesn't really know what's going on with Miami Woman, but they're, they're, they put it past each other for now. Yeah, at some point, I think it's somewhere around here, but I don't remember in what order it is. At some point, she sees that th- that the Miami Woman is like, oh, you're going to blow me off on our anniversary? And Millie's like, what the fuck? And oh, Hollis yeah. is like, oh, it's, it's a sex anniversary. Literally just a sex anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A friends with benefits in Miami, which like, sure, but that's far away. Yeah, it's just all very funny to me that this man who is presumably very hot and who kind of talks about how he gets laid all the time, no problem. Why are you going to fly to Miami? She must be a really good lay. She must be. 
But anyway, so they, you know, continue their whatever it is. And no, they well, they kiss at the broccoli festival. No, they bang the night before the broccoli oh, festival. Well, yeah, yeah. So th- this is where we get a vulnerable moment from Mr. Hollis Hollenbeck, where do. a thunderstorm wakes both of them up in the middle of the night. He casually drops that his house burned down when he was 10 years old from lightning. And so now he's terrified of thunderstorms, which, fair enough. Millie comforts him, and then they do it. And then they do it. And he's like, oh, I'm not scared anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Conveniently enough. That's at 45%, by the way. So Nice. they, They kiss and bang at the same time. Yes. Then they make out at the Broccoli Festival. I had my bullet point in the wrong place. Yes. They make out at the Broccoli Festival, which is a big deal because one thing we haven't really addressed is that while Millie acknowledges and is fine with the fact that she's like relatively famous, she does not like to invite that attention. Yeah. She doesn't have any social media. She doesn't post pictures. That's why Josh doing it was so big of a deal Mm -hmm. is that. You know, she's not on Instagram. She's not on Twitter. She doesn't like to invite people to comment on her. She'll take a selfie with people. She makes that clear. But yeah, but they they make out at the Broccoli Festival after she's kind of freaking out about like, what are we doing? What does this mean? And Hollis is like, we can just have sex. It's fine. Calm down. And mm-hmm. then they make out and somebody takes a picture. of it. And yeah, it, it goes viral. <laughs> yeah. And then, then her. This is a little later, but her parents see it and freak the fuck out, which is really funny. (laughs) Her poor parents. Yeah. But also poor Millie because her parents are ridiculous. Yeah. And so then at this point, this book is a little insta-lovey for me. If I'm going to come up with another gripe, this is Mm. another one because it's been like four days. And Millie's like, am I in love? And I'm like, probably not. You just had really good sex. And he's just really hot. (laughs) He's just really hot. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway. So they continue on in the <laughs> Ryan's Kia Soul after the Broccoli <laughs> Festival. Now that they've banged, things are a little easier. And yeah, they're both vaguely struggling with their feelings. Or at least Millie is. This is a book from Millie's perspective only. Right. We can assume through some of Hollis's behaviors that he is also starting to fall for Millie. We also find out that he's known Millicent for longer than she thought. They yeah, met two they years met ago. another time. Yeah. Yeah, pre, pre-breakup. pre Yes, at some MFA event or whatever. I don't know. And he had noticed her because she was knitting something terribly. <laughs> and he was like, I want to meet the weird girl. But she was hot, too. So Millie for sure has ADHD. <laughs> Probably so. diagnose her. Uh, Katie's qualified now, actually. I'm qualified. <laughs> I've been I've been diagnosed for three months and now I can <laughs> diagnose other people. She knows. She knows the signs. I do. I've done a lot of research. I mean, I trust you. I don't whatever. She's a little she's a little chaotic. A little bit. Yeah. We love her though. Yeah. She's great. But we also find out along with Millie that Hollis has canceled his dick appointment for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because he wants to be with Millie when they get to Key West and figure out how Elsie and Rose's Mrs. Nash, her their story ends. Um, yeah, and so this whole time we've been occasionally revisiting Rose and Elsie's story. They're falling for each other. It's the 40s or whatever, and so there's 
two women being together is fraught in yes. many ways. Rose is like a pigeon trainer. Yep. <laughs> Which is awesome. They're at like a like a nurse's camp. I don't that's probably not right. But they're stationed somewhere for the military. Yes. They're part of that program that was going on in the forties where it was like women getting involved in the military without having to necessarily go to combat. Yeah. So she's yeah, she's training carrier pigeons. Elsie is a nurse. Elsie is a nurse. And they meet on the beach. It's this is a very condensed version, but it is well worth the time that we spend with them. They mm-hmm. you know, they meet on the beach, they kind of slowly, you know, Become friends and then more. Yep. And then it eventually ends. Rose is wanting to pursue this further, but Elsie keeps telling her, like, I can't make you happy. You want to be a mother. It's mm-hmm. hard for women to be together, obviously. like the, It's the 40s. Yeah, yeah. They can't get married. So they break up. And then Rose and Elsie never see each other again. And then they exchange letters, but... Elsie was presumed dead in the 1950s after a helicopter accident, but... Because there was a name mix-up with someone with a name really close to hers. A very severe clerical mix-up. It was like Ellie Braun or something like that. And so Mrs. Nash has thought that Elsie has been dead since like the 50s. And then after Mrs. Nash died, that's when Millie found out Elsie's still alive. but But now about to die. Yeah, so we get a lot of... Mrs. Nash's yearning perspective as written by Hollis slash told by Millie. And there's a lot of really beautiful writing in this part. So Sarah Adler slash Hollis Hollenbeck are, are very talented. I cried at multiple points in this book. Yeah, I saved this quote that I really liked. As a girl, Rose had always imagined true love as something that would open the world so wide its spine would crack with the abundance of possibility and she was furious to find that instead it seemed to be nothing but an illusion that she had any freedom at all. Whew. Yeah, so that was, I think that was from when, like, right after Elsie was like, Rose, go home, get married, and be happy, and live your life, and do what you can, basically. Yep. So, we arrive in Florida, in Boca Raton? I yes, think. Boca Raton, I'm pretty sure. Ariana Grande's hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Which oh, is God. The- Let's we can't can't get distracted with Oof. Ariana Grande. Someone needs to talk to me about it. Yeah. <laughs> Please message me. We'll put it on the agenda for this weekend. Great. Oh, yes, that is exactly what I want to do in a conversation topics. In a big group of women. That is exactly what I want to do. Abigail's wow. Bachelorette is this weekend, so as you're listening to this. Go wish her a happy bachelorette. Yeah, that's why I'm not allowed in the office. Yeah, I have secrets in there. I'm pumped. There are secrets. Yeah. So they go to his dad's house because it's like midnight and it's like they could arrive at the nursing home at four in the morning or they can sleep for a little bit and get there at, you know, a reasonable hour. So we go to Hollis Hollenbeck's home or childhood home. One of one of his childhood homes? Yeah, he, he lived there at some point. I don't know if it was like his forever childhood home. Right. But he lived there at some point in his youth. And he was, importantly, spending time there during college. Yes. Yes. They bang again. Sex scenes in this book, pretty good. Very good. Yep. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. Yep. Very good. Um, Not gratuitous, but still the, the appropriate amount of detailed. Yep. Spicy enough. Yep. We also find out Hollis Hollenbeck's romantic past because he keeps... Which is tragic. Yeah, he keeps telling Millie that, you know, he doesn't do relationships. But we find out why, which is his dad fucking sucks. Yeah, his 
dad like stole his girlfriend kind of like she was with him to get back at his dad his dad they had dated yeah his dad is a professor and then was just dating students <sighs> this is a plot line that i wish we would feature less in yes books. we don't like it i cannot enjoy it nope and so he had dated this girl broke up with her and then she started dating hollis to get back at hollis's dad and it was a whole big mess and poor hollis's heart was broken so he and millie talk about it and he heals just slightly yeah so he says they're sort of doing the the pillow talk thing and they're they're talking and and he tells her all of this and then He's talking about his romantic past, and he tells her, if I still believed in happily ever afters, I think I would have begrudgingly enjoyed having one with you, Ugh, which is so sweet. And then she, like, fucking Millie doesn't, like, say anything back and just kisses him. Yeah. Which, like, I don't know if I would be able to say anything back either, because I would be like, woohoo, what a line. I know. I would probably not say anything in the moment, but then, like, an hour later be like, Hey, what was that about? Yeah. Can we talk about that more? <laughs> exactly. Because I also am a word vomiter. Just yeah. Occasionally I'll sit on it for a little while. That's where I get frustrated in these books or like if anyone asks me for advice about stuff or whatever, where it's like, I don't, I can't give you advice because I would have just said something already at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been known to keep my mouth shut a single day in my life. Nope. But there's something else I was going to say. Oh, um... Hollis says cute things like this a lot. Like, he's a writer. And I found it very funny um, a little bit later on in the book, um, after the this sort of fall, if you will, Millie is, is thinking about something particularly poignant and is like, ah, shit, I, like, also have Hollis's affinity for purple prose. And I'm like, <laughs> that's so funny for a writer to put that in their own book. Oh, yep. that's full of purple prose. I just found it so funny because that's also not a phrase that I think a lot of non-writers know. So it just felt like a very in-joke. This was a good writer book reading. A, as writers reading about a writer, this one was yeah. good. Not that we do the same kind of writing, but this one lined up. Yeah, I too love purple prose. Yeah. <laughs> so we continue our journey after they leave his dad's house. And so now we're in the third act. And they get to the nursing home where Elsie is in hospice. Millie has just been a ball of anxiety. She's nervous about what's going on because they haven't been able to get answers from the nursing home until they get there. Because they're not relatives and so they'll call and then they're like, no. Yeah, you know, HIPAA and whatnot. Yeah. They get there, however, and Elsie has died before Millie even left dc yeah like before her flight was even going to be originally so she would have never made it in the first place yeah and holy shit ow yeah this part is really rough millie has like a full-on i don't know if you want to call it a panic attack or just a meltdown or an anxiety attack or some combination of all of those things it sort of feels like she just fucking loses it yeah she's collapsing in the lobby of the nursing home and hollis is there and he Picks her up fully and carries, literally picks yeah, her up. Yeah, carries her to the car as she's sobbing, and he sets her down in the car. He goes back inside and leaves Millie's number with the front desk, so like family can contact her, which she notes was 
very thoughtful and she wouldn't have thought to do it. And this is where I highlighted a quote that I was just like, fuck, how would I have managed this if he weren't with me? I want to believe I would have done all right alone. I'm a competent adult woman who can handle whatever life throws at me, but I'm so glad I don't have to prove it right now, which being being adult, competent women as well. Yeah. We like to think. Woof. Sometimes you just need someone to take care of you. Yep. Sometimes you just need to have the meltdown in the parking lot. Yep. So Hollis takes care of her, like, takes her back to the hotel, like, puts her in the bath and, like, bathes her, which is so sweet. The and way- is, is sort of, like, very kindly, like, I don't know if you're grieving Ellie, uh, Elsie. I think you're maybe grieving Mrs. Nash. Yeah. The way that this is where... Sarah Adler was a great writer throughout this book, but, like, this is where it was, like, a gut punch. Because mm-hmm. right before this part, we get the little story of Rose finding out Elsie has died, which, you know, of course, we find out later was not the truth. Yeah. But Elsie died the first time. Yeah. Elsie what, fake died. Her her fake death. But you have this really, like, heartbreaking and lovely scene of Mrs. Nash and her husband where her husband takes care of her the exact same way that Hollis does to... Millie and also tells Mrs. Nash like she was more to you than a friend right and Mrs. Nash Rose is like yeah I loved her so much and he says something like oh I wish I could bring her back for you sweetheart and it just like ripped my guts out yeah it was really heartbreaking and just just like a really great piece of writing having those two moments back to back which was obviously very deliberate right but also Sarah Adler just describing Hollis, like, taking care of her. Like, Millie's kind of going through this in her head where he is, she's just, like, he's being so kind to me. Like, he's bathing me. It's not sexual, but it's gentle and it's mm-hmm. affectionate. And it's, I don't know, it's just, like, a really nice piece of writing where she's panicking and having a meltdown, but also realizing, like, somebody's taking care of me. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm letting it happen. And this is, this is right. This is okay. So. Yeah. Yeah, and there there was really the rest of my notes were all <laughs> they're all just these quotes. There was one moment at some point during this section where Millie's inner monologue basically is like reuniting Elsie and Mrs. Nash was supposed to remind me that love can last a lifetime, that forever is a possibility for me too if I only keep believing. But when Hollis wraps me in one of the fluffy white robes on the back of the bathroom door, leads me to the bed and cocoons me in his arms, I suddenly understand that forever isn't the part that I almost lost faith in. It was the millions of right nows along the way. <sighs> and just that, like, I just I just really, really love books or songs or, like, yeah, any pieces of media that capture this sort of, like, day-to-day in love mundane Things like, you know, the Frank O'Hara having a Coke with you of it all is like always really lovely to me. Yeah, I agree. And it's also in a way for me at this stage in life, very comforting of a reminder is like, as I'm about to get married, I'll have these moments where I feel like I'm freaking out of like, oh my God, is Austin still going to love me and or even like like me in 10 years? And it's like, no, it's like day to day. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to think about it as the end point of forever. Like, no, this is also like your day to day. This is your right now. It's like this is this is not as hard as you are making it out to be. Like things are good. Don't overthink it almost. Like it yeah. is the right nows. So Exactly. 
And the next 10 years are, are made up of those. Yeah. It was a nice reminder. And I have a quote from when they bang, which they do in this hotel room later, as they've all kind of, you know, as Millie's calmed down. But I think it's when they're they're kissing or they're banging. I don't remember. Is it the shoelaces one? No. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's the embers rain down sizzling, and I'm not even surprised when a quiet, slightly raspy voice in my head says, you love him, you silly thing, because I know. Oh, yeah, Mrs. Nash. Oh, Mrs. Nash is kind of cheering her on in her head almost as she's going on this journey with Hollis, and that was just, well, that kind of came out of nowhere for me, and I was just like, fuck, damn yeah. it. Because Millie talks about earlier in the book about how she's like, oh, I could talk to Mrs. Nash and then picture and then like picture her voice in my head talking back to me, but it would just be me talking to myself. Like that's not real. Yeah. And then we get this moment of Mrs. Nash in her head, which is the acknowledgement, which is also, again, Sarah Adler, great writer. This is a great callback moment to that of of Mrs. Nash's voice in Millie's head, but it's it's Millie all along. Yep. Yep. There's there was another moment talk about Hollis and his purple prose where Hollis is like really frustrated by his feelings for her and says, I'm starting to realize that you're inevitable, Millicent. It's like you tied my shoelaces together the moment we met and the knot's only getting tighter the longer I try to outrun you. (sighs) Which is so cute. It is cute. This Yeah, this is also the point where they admit like, oh, no, we love each other. Mm-hmm. But then, <laughs> oh, but then, where is Hollis when this happens? He he's left. getting dinner. He's getting dinner. So they sleep like all day because they went to the nursing home like in the morning, mm-hmm. and then fall asleep. And then Hollis leaves to get dinner. Millie opens his notebook because she gets a call from Elsie's niece, mm-hmm. and so she's looking for a scrap of paper to write down where she's going to meet Elsie's niece because she finds out Elsie left her letters so she needs scrap paper and she opens hollis's notebook and like scribbles it down real fast and then she looks at the notebook and hollis this entire time has been kind of like writing on and off through their journey and you like i mean it's like kind of obvious that he's writing about millie but also turns out he's been writing about millie and mrs nash and elsie's story and Millicent is understandably very sensitive to this. Yeah, yeah. This this completely makes sense. And, you know, you do sort of... When this scene is written, you do... I think Millie sort of mentions that she's, like, only reading part of it and then just gets fed up or whatever. And so you, there's sort of this foreshadowing of, like, oh, there's more in this journal that we're going to find out about later or whatever, which it does sort of turn that it that does turn out to be the case. Um, but of course, Hollis comes back, sees her with the journal is like, I was totally going to tell you, this is not how I wanted you to find out. Yes, this is the book that I pitched to my editor. But then I realized that I couldn't write this. It didn't feel right. I took it back, etc. But Millie is, of course, still really upset. She leaves to go meet Elsie's niece, which is also disappointing because she's not really she wanted this like sappy, let's share stories about our respective old ladies. Yeah. Um and then Elsie's niece is not as, I guess, wistful or nostalgic as as Millie's wanting her to be. Yeah. I have to mention Millie throws some zingers Hollis's way when she finds the notebook, but I think the most like poignant thing she says 
is, you know, Hollis is trying to tell her, like, I love you. And this is you you make me feel like I can do anything and, you know, shit like that. But in mm-hmm. his purple prose sort of way. And then Millie kind of gets to take out all of her frustration that she had with Josh on him as well, where she's saying, see, this is the problem. I'm not your damn lantern. I didn't exist to fix Josh and I don't exist to fix you. I didn't stroll into your life to inspire goddamn art or make you feel free or whatever bullshit you want to tell me. I spin to face him and I throw my hands to my sides as another guttural scream escapes through my gritted teeth. I am weird, Hollis. That is who I am, a weird person, and it has absolutely nothing to do with you. When I am alone, I am exactly the same. I don't power down like some sort of toy robot waiting until the next time you want to play with me. I'm not the quirky girl whose sole purpose is to add whimsy to the tortured writer's sad, dull life. I have my own shit going on. And in this story, the tortured writer is the one who's just along for the ride, which she's right. Boom. Yeah, she's totally right. Yeah. And then Hollis, rather importantly, at some point during this argument is like, you're taking your Josh shit out on me and I'm not him. And Millie is like, you're right. Sorry. Yeah. And then just keeps going in on the shit that Hollis did do. Right. So, you know. uh, So there's a very mature moment during this argument. But she um, leaves anyway, and then, yeah. yes, and that's when we meet Tammy, who... <laughs> is fine. I mean, I don't know. She's a side character. Like, you can't project your grief onto other people. You can't hold people to expectations that they don't know about. Yeah. So that's kind of what it was here. Right. And she's just kind of like, I don't know. I didn't really know my aunt that well. Like, I don't, I don't have a lot for you. Here's some letters. Yeah. And it's basically... It starts with a letter from Elsie to... Rose that is like the hey I'm gonna die so somewhat like you might be gone too so whoever's reading this this is my story basically Mm -hmm. and it's essentially a diary but it's all told in the form of letters from Elsie to Rose after Rose thought Elsie was dead Elsie didn't have an address to send letters to and it's all this it's a lot of longing it's very sad yeah like Elsie had a happy life she had another partner but she was definitely always wanting to be with rose and mm-hmm. kind of talks about regretting that she let her go and it is sad it's bittersweet in some ways but it's mostly just sad yeah yeah so millie is upset and decides to go to boca chica beach which is where elsie and rose met originally and she decides this is where she's going to put mrs nash's ashes going to bury them she digs a little hole dumps them in whatever and so she's like sitting there just feeling super sad she's grieving mrs nash she's grieving elsie she's grieving the end of what she feels like could have been a relationship with hollis and she says what i think is my favorite line of this book she says she thinks i hate that my instinct is always to take less than i deserve To let a man's inability or unwillingness to fully accept and respect me transform into a shame albatross around my neck. Fuck. Fuck. There, man, I, this is a book that I'm going to reread and I feel like I'm going to reread soon because it was Mm -hmm. one of those where I was just like, I wasn't trying to speed through it, but it was so much of like, oh my gosh, I love this book so much. Like I want to keep going that you don't get to sit with the writing of it all, but Throughout a lot of this book, I could see, and I don't want this to sound douchey, but I could see a lot of myself in Millie at times Mm -hmm. as someone who does not keep her mouth shut, as somebody who can, like, I've definitely had 
guys I've dated kind of project this manic pixie dream girl sort of scenario on me. Mm-hmm. And then when it turns out I don't fit their expectations or, you know, whatever, then it's like, it's my problem. Mm-hmm. Like suddenly I don't live up to it. And so Millicent kind of getting to almost like say everything I wish I could have said in some of those situations, but also be like, why do I feel so ashamed of who I am or whatever? Like there's, I I exist as a person like that's, Mm -hmm. I don't exist for anybody else. And yeah, like it's, I don't, I don't know. This was, this was a, not just because she likes Steely Dan, but that's part of it. But (laughs) you know, I could, I, I think I have definitely like had feelings where it's like, why am I so different than everybody else? Mm -hmm. Or why do I feel so different from everybody else? And then, you know, you have guys kind of project that onto you of like, wow, she's so cool and not like other girls. And then it becomes an issue. Um, So and then you're like, no, 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 my guy. I am like a lot of girls. A lot of us are the same. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah, this Millie has this sort of like feeling sorry for herself moment, but not in like a like a wallowing in self-pity way, just like a fuck, like why why? Yeah. kind of thing. And also, wow, a lot has happened. Yeah, exactly. She's like, this has been a really weird series of days. Yep. Wow, cuz yeah, it's only been like 5 days or mm-hmm. something crazy like that. I forget how short this time period is. Yeah, so then Hollis shows up and he's like, thought I might find you here. And they have this like very quick sort of resolution where they're like, I was wrong. You were wrong. We good. And then Hollis throws his journal into the ocean. I would have been so fucking mad. Me too. And Millie is. She's like, what the fuck? You just. I wanted to read the rest of it. Yeah. She's like, you just spent all this time telling me you wrote a romantic gesture and then you got rid of it. Yeah. And he's like, oh shit. Oh fuck. And he literally strips off all his clothes and runs into the ocean. And then she does too, and the journal like bonks one of them in the leg, and of course it's ruined, but it's all very funny. Yeah, and then they live happily ever after, and it's and there, man, there's this little like not epilogue, but it like goes back to Rose's perspective when Millie moves in next door. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was like. The perfect little ending of, like, this nice little wrap-up. Man, I love a callback. So, mm-hmm. man, it was, I don't know, flawless ending. She really stuck the landing on this one. Yeah, it, it, I loved every piece of it. And other than Hollis Hollenbeck, Hollenbeck sorry, I'm not going to be on board with that one. Uh, the name, not the man. Love the man. Hate the name. I hate the name. That's But I loved it. Sarah Adler, more. More, more, more. More uh, books. This was so good. Like, when we picked it... I was like, oh, yeah, it's got, like, a really high rating on Goodreads. It's been out for, like, a couple months, too. Like, okay, let's... I I don't know. I loved this book. And I've heard nothing about it. I haven't seen it, like, come up on my Goodreads, other people reading it. I haven't seen it on Bookstagram. I haven't seen it on TikTok. And I want us to be the evangelists of this book. We love this book. It was so fucking good. I even... I went and bought the hard copy at Book People, our local indie, when I had... When I was, like about to finish it because i was like i know this is going to be a book that i want to own the print copy of and so i went by book people on my way home from work and the 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 woman who was checking me out i got this and i got trish dollars off the map um she was like looking at mrs nash's ashes and was like and like flipped it over and read the back of it as she was ringing me up and she was like 
this is a really interesting like title and premise. And she was like, I love contemporary romance. And I was like, read this book. Read this book. Yes. It- so whoever you are at Book People, I hope you read it. That was only three days ago, but I hope you are reading it. Oh, yeah. If like if you liked Dead Romantics, which our girl Ashley Poston did the blurb for this book too. Yeah. On the front. Um She said, what did she say? Soft, sweet, and utterly enchanting. Indeed, Ashley. Yep. Agreed. It is very spiritually similar to Dead Romantics in a lot of ways of like, it's about grief. It's about love. It's about, but like, are you like nodding like it's a plagiarism? No, I'm nodding because you're about to read, because you're about to read Seven Year Slip, <gasps> which is even more spiritually similar to this book. <gasps> oh, than gosh. Dead Romantics. Okay. I really needed this one too, because I feel like I was in a little bit of a romance slump where I was like reading things I liked, but like didn't love. And so I was really happy with this one. Yeah. I, I am so excited for you to go from this book into Seven Year Slip because they feel so spiritually similar because there is like a an older woman who has passed character in that one as well and it yeah i i can't wait yeah so that's what it. i'm reading now starting tonight cuz i just finished this one yes uh so yeah i'm going to start the 7 year slip by ashley posting kitty what are you reading i'm reading just friends by joe lovett which i put off for a long time but i really liked a previous book of hers called the house swap which is sort of Exactly what it sounds like. And I don't know if I like it, but I am, I've read too much of it to give up on it. Yeah. So it's fine. It's, it's, you might, you might enjoy it. There's a wedding, but I'm like, have, I thought the whole book takes place at the wedding. So it's a wedding and two, it's a wedding second chance. And so it's like the, it's dual perspective and, they are exes like eight years ago mm-hmm. and they're they show up at the same wedding. Okay. And I thought it was all gonna take place at the wedding, but the wedding already happened and I'm sixty percent of the way through. Oh. And I don't I have no fucking idea where it's going. And their like main conflict is so fucking infuriating because they just he's like, Bro, why did you break up with me? And she's like, We wanted different things or whatever, when really like her grandma died and she didn't want to talk about it. And he was like trying to get her to talk about it. And she was like, it's impossible. We can't be together because we deal with these things differently. You want to talk and I don't. And I'm like, grow the fuck up. Talk. Or just like say that you deal with it differently. And both of you just fucking cope with the fact that you handle these things differently and just like move on with your life. I don't, I don't know where it's going. I don't know if I'm going to finish it. But I do feel since I'm like 60 some odd percent of the way through, I feel like I've invested this much time. I should just yeah see what happens because it is raising some interesting questions about relationships. I just don't know if it feels like a romance to me anymore. Mm, yeah. So I don't know. It's fine. But I'm also reading Sarah J. Ma- uh, Mass's uh, Moss? Mass? I don't know what the consensus is. Um, the Crescent City series. So. Uh, yes. Can't relate. Yeah, I'm doing that. It's romance-ish. Yeah. There's a romance in it. But yeah, that's where we're at. Next episode, we're going to be breaking down a hilarious book that I found in my office. Yes. It's like a guide to reading romance from like the 70s. So we're truly doing that now? Yep. I put it into the universe. <laughs> Katie decided that's what we're doing. I decided in this current moment. 
great. We don't have any other ideas. Nope, that's true. We haven't figured out our next book. So we will do an exploratory snorkel into this uh, how to read romance textbook. The cover is glorious. There's this man crouching at a very odd angle. (laughs) It's true. It's true. So get ready for some probably funny bonus content from that. And if it's not good, we won't do it. So if you hear something else... That it's because the book wasn't good. Yeah, or it wasn't it wasn't crazy enough. Yeah, yeah. exactly. See y'all next time. Bye.